But what's so beautiful about the story is David's reaction. It's one of repentance. And I think we tend to, when we're confronted with our own sin, we tend to either blame someone else or make excuses. When you're confronted with your own failure, your own sin, do you tend to blame someone else or do you tend to make an excuse? David does neither. David responds to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Welcome to No Sanity Required, from the ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. Hello and welcome to the podcast, No Sanity Required. Excited to uh, share some thoughts with you this morning, and specifically, I want to go back to, uh, I think it was a couple episodes ago, when we went beyond the flannel graph and we looked at the, sort of the background story of King David, who is literally one of the most intriguing characters in all of scripture and someone that I've I've really enjoyed studying and I wanted to I wanted to go a little bit outside of the parameters or the or the borders of of the story that we looked at a couple episodes back that was I believe episode five and we looked at at David as a young man when God prepared him to fight Goliath and then sort of some of the misconceptions that maybe we've had in our own understanding of that story I want to go go beyond that and look at what happens um, before and after that sort of big picture up until the fall of David into like moral failure and adultery. I, I, I called this when I sort of typed out the notes to this, called it King David's crazy rise and fall. This would be a, a sort of a part two to what we did back in episode five. So a little background to David's rise to the, the throne of Israel because he eventually becomes king. And the background is that there was about a decade of time after David killed Goliath where, you know, the the king that was in charge of Israel that God had put on the throne was a guy named Saul. And Saul started real, real strong as king, but then he, it kind of went to his head. He became arrogant and puffed up and, and sort of got boastful. And he was also a little bit deranged. A guy had major issues. So if you go read the first half of first Samuel, you really get a good picture for this guy, Saul, first, really all of first Samuel. If, if you sat down for a few minutes each morning, half hour, uh, you could read that whole book in a week. And it's a fascinating story because Saul, Saul starts strong, but it is very short lived. Uh, and I don't even know that you say start strong. It's, it's an interesting start to his story. We'll probably go back at some point and look more in depth, but when David rises to power as king over Israel, it's right after the Goliath incident. So David kills this this lunatic giant of a man named Goliath, and then everybody sort of rallies around David. He becomes this this iconic figure in 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 what would at that time be, be modern day Israel. So his story gets told everywhere. You know, it's the time when. Everything was word of mouth and people start, they start to write songs about David. He becomes this iconic hero in the land and everybody loves David. And as a result, Saul gets jealous and then there's David becomes a fugitive. So Saul basically puts David on the run. And so for about a decade of David's life, he's literally public enemy. Number one, you read about that first Samuel chapter 16 through 31, tell that story. And I mean, it's crazy. Like, uh, um, there's like a lot of, uh, deception and, um, 
underhandedness in Saul, you really see this evil, evil spirit in Saul. And, but at the same time, contrasted to this evil spirit in Saul, you see the, the humility of David, who is just this kind, gentle, but fierce. He's kind of a dichotomy of, of personality and ideas. He's, he's, he's very gentle. He's very compassionate. He's very kind. He's very artistic and poetic. He loves the Lord. The Bible says he's got a heart after the Lord and after, after God's own heart. But then he's also just a savage on the battlefield. David is straight savage. If you read the exploits, the battlefield exploits of David, the dude was savage. He, he, he was so fierce in battle that his name not only spread as an iconic hero in Israel, but it spread to other nations. People, people freaked out if they thought David was coming. And so he, the, he was a, such an intriguing character. And so eventually, um, God continues to bless David, continues to bless David, keeps him safe, keeps his promises. There's some down, downward moments in David's, um, in, in that decade where he's running from Saul, where David, we can learn a lot from David. He seems to lose heart a couple of times, but the Lord is so gracious. And there's really cool lessons to be had there where David seems to lose heart, but God comes to him and ministers to him and he gets built back up. At one point, he's at such a low point that he goes and hides in these caves, um, kind of in the, in the badlands of Israel. Nobody will find him here. He's, he's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And then all these just rabble rousers, renegades, these other savage dudes come to live with David in these caves. And David basically, he essentially builds an army of guys that are fugitives from the law. These guys are outcasts. They're criminals. They're crossbreed peoples. Like, you know, they don't have an, a national identity. They're, they're the product of you know, multiple backgrounds. And, um, so, and, and that's at a time when people were really identified by their ethnic background, you had tribal and clan type warfare. And so you got just uh, this, this hodgepodge of characters that come and they live with David and all of that's in the second half of first Samuel. And so David forms this little ragtag army of a few hundred men and they become a killing machine. It's out of this army that David's elite special operations community will be raised up. And so that when he becomes king one day, it's out of this army that his, his key fighters and, and military leaders are formed. So moving to the book of second Samuel, Saul dies and David is sort of poised to become king. But in the first four chapters of Samuel, what you've got is David becomes the king of the southern state of Judah, which is his homeland. But then another guy is king of the northern tribes. There's like 10 tribes to the north, 10 states, and that comprise Israel, the northern kingdom, and, and another guy becomes king there. But David remains faithful to the Lord, even though he knows he's been called to be king. He stays faithful to the Lord and just rules over what God's given him, which is a, a huge biblical principle. God, whatever God gives you, be faithful with that, even if it's very little. Be faithful with that, and then the Lord will bless and give you more responsibility. So David faithfully leads Judah and believes in the call of God on his life that eventually the kingdom will be unified and he'll be king over the north and the south. And he never stops believing in that, and he remains patient and faithful to the Lord. He serves the Lord faithfully as the king of Judah. And eventually, uh, starting in about 2 Samuel 5, the kingdom is finally unified under David. So David, after, I don't know, maybe 12 or 15 years have passed 15, maybe even more from the time he was, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Um, 
He's finally the king. He finally is 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 ruling over a unified kingdom. And he be, and, and so what he does, he begins in 2 Samuel 5 through 10, he begins to expand the territory and conquer Israel's enemies. This had never been done throughout all the time of the judges and throughout all the time of King Saul's reign. So you had King Saul, prior to that you had a you had you had years and years and years of the rule of the judges. There was no king in Israel. And it was a dark period in history, and there was never this sort of unified Israelite nation. And and really, if you study, even going back a few centuries prior to this, it was because Israel had never faithfully driven out their enemies. And so they had always allowed the, these enemies to linger. So David expands the borders, pushes them out, basically cleans out Israel uh, in terms of enemy occupation and establishes this really, really strong kingdom. And in second Samuel chapter seven, God himself, Yahweh speaks to David and he comes and he makes a covenant with him. And it's really cool. At the very end of that chapter, the Lord says this, he, this is a quote from Yahweh to David. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. And your throne will be established forever. So he makes a promise to David that David will always have someone from his lineage that will sit on the throne and that actually that throne will be established forever. And this is really awesome because we know that, that the national throne, like the, like the, the, the nation of Israel falls into captivity. And then there's a point where there's no King in Israel. And, and so if you know history from the time of David to the time of Christ, you're going, okay, there's like 400 years where there is no King. There is no throne established. So did God's promise to David fail or was it only for a few years? He said he would establish his throne forever. And what we realize is that he's talking about a throne that's greater than an earthly kingdom in Israel. He's talking about the eternal throne that Jesus will occupy because when Jesus came into the world, he came in the lineage of David. Remember, you, you might remember that from the Christmas story when not, not, not the funny movie, which is also classic, but not as classic as <laughs> the nativity story. So, um, David, David has a descendant named Joseph who becomes the earthly father of Jesus in his earthly life. He becomes his adopted father. And so Jesus comes through Joseph and Mary. Um, even though Joseph's not his biological father, Joseph and Mary are in the lineage of David. And so, um, the idea that God's covenant, Yahweh's covenant to, to King David is fulfilled and a, and a throne is established forever. We see that come to fruition in the in the like the um, the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is establishing a kingdom, but Jesus said, "My kingdom's not of this world. It's an eternal kingdom." Thus, fulfilling God's promise to David. So, so a, a descendant of David, Jesus, will establish a throne that will last forever and ever and ever. And so, this is this is sort of where we see the gospel coming out in this covenant promise to David. So back to the story of David, you continue, you get to 2 Samuel 10, and a crazy story, something I find very interesting, a story that I find very interesting, and that is there's this group of people called the Ammonites, and they're one of the nations that David had had dealt with, but he had actually, they'd become allies. And so there was a, a friendship between David and the Ammonite king, but then the Ammonite king dies, and so his son, a dude named King Hanum, is 
trying to make a name for himself. So he says, well, my dad's dead. I don't trust that David will keep his friendship with my people. So he attacks a group of David's men and, but he doesn't just attack them. He publicly humiliates them. And it's crazy. He shaves half their beards off and then he strips them naked from like the waist down and then sends them out into the wilderness, into the wild or out. At, I think he might even send them like into public. And so it's humiliating. And so David hears about it. He's livid and he retaliates against this young king. This young king goes out and builds an army of allies. He, he recruits mercenaries to fight against David's men because he knows David's angry and David's coming after him. And so he recruits um, these mercenaries from, from, from surrounding armies. David's men come, and it actually says he sends like a group of those that special operations community. So he, he sends literally his elite forces. And they go, and they fight against this king and his allies. They destroy them. They devastate them. I mean, it's like a complete dominant performance by David's army. And in fact, at the end of chapter 10, it says, after this, the uh, Arameans were afraid to ever help the Ammonites again. David's renown is spreading so much that there's some armies that are, that are more distant that are distant that are saying, we don't want anything to do with David and Israel. They're just, they're too tough. They're too strong. And we don't want anything to do with them. So there's a 12 minute cap of what has happened to get us to second Samuel 11, a time when David's kingdom has been established. The enemies have been driven back. David has for two decades been faithful to the Lord, really for his whole life. But, but on paper for two decades has been faithful to the Lord. He's leading a United kingdom. Um, not the one in great Britain, but, uh, the, the original United kingdom, and he has conquered all of his enemies on every side and so now you've got this picture, this really, uh, it's ironic because you've got this picture of all of the enemies from without have been subdued. For the first time in Israelite history, there is peace in the land on the inside, but the problem comes from the inside. And what happens is David loses spiritual focus. And we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we read the story of David and Bathsheba and the adultery that he commits with her, and she is the wife of a man named Uriah. And when you read Second Samuel 11, one of the things that surfaces is the noble character and honor of Uriah over in contrast to David's sinfulness and deceit. And so David has been like the hero of the story for a couple, uh, gosh, a, a couple dozen chapters. And then all of a sudden you get to Second Samuel 11 and we have a fall. We have a crash. We have the hero who is is a type of Christ pointing us to Jesus who will one day be the perfect king, and we see our imperfect king fall hard. He stands in contrast to all the other Israels, uh, all the other leaders of Israel up to this point, but he crashes. And I'm not this is not this podcast episode is not a focus on the story of Bathsheba and David and the adultery and murder that David committed. But it's what I want to focus on here in these last couple minutes is David's response to the whole thing. Because what we've all been in situations where we failed miserably, we sinned against others, we we let other people down. It's easy to think about how you've been let down and it's easy to think about how you've been hurt by people, but but it's good to self-examine what have I done to be unfaithful to the Lord or to be unfaithful to other people, to not be a good friend, to hurt people. David has hurt a lot of people at this point in the story, and and I want to zero in here and give you, here's, here's the thought for this episode. Here's the thought for the day. 
at the end of the story, a guy named Nathan, who is a prophet. Um, let's see, this is in Second Samuel chapter 12. This guy named Nathan comes to David and confronts him with his sin. And, and David is so overwhelmed with emotion when he is confronted by, by Nathan, the prophet, what he does is it says in, uh, second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Just let that sink in for a minute. Anointed King at a young age rises to national prominence through the conquering and, and killing of Goliath and the Philistine people. The Philistines are forever subdued. This, this nation that had been a constant thorn in Israel's side, they'd been an enemy to Israel. They're subdued because of David's faithfulness and savagery as a warrior. The king turns on David because the people love David so much. The king is insecure and jealous stories full of applications and we could spend weeks just walking through all of that and maybe we will one day but david is unjustly accused he's put on the run he becomes public enemy number one he remains faithful he hides in the wilderness god raises up an army around him of other outcasts David rises to the throne. The throne is unified. After King Saul dies, David is made king of a unified kingdom. God continues to bless him, gives him incredible strengths and, and allies, and then conquers his enemies, continues to drive them back. The crazy story of the Ammonite humiliation in 2 Samuel 10 shows David's wisdom as king, but continued savagery and dealing with the enemies of God and his people. And then all of a sudden, David falls. He just falls. He just crashes, and he crashes hard. But what's so beautiful about the story is David's reaction. It's one of repentance. And I think we tend to, when we're confronted with our own sin, we tend to either blame someone else or make excuses. When you're confronted with your own failure, your own sin, do you tend to blame someone else or do you tend to make an excuse? David does neither. David responds to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. There's two things that you see in that response that I want to leave you with this morning. Uh, it's morning here, whenever you're listening to this. The first one is repentance. This is what repentance looks like. Humbling of myself and an admission of my sin. So it's repentance. And the second thing is that humility that repentance comes out of. True repentance is always going to be accompanied with humility. If I'm making an excuse, that's not true repentance. If I'm blaming someone else, that's not true repentance. If I'm justifying my action, that's not true repentance. But humility always accompanies repentance. So if I'm humble before the Lord, if I'm humble before others, then my repentance will be sincere. So we see repentance and humility, and watch this. Then David, then Nathan rather, replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. It's beautiful. David humbly repents, and God graciously forgives. I hope you'll be encouraged to know that no matter what you do, no matter where you've been, no matter what, you cannot out-sin the grace of, of Jesus. You cannot out sin the power and ability of Jesus to forgive. 
And that should give us strength. That should give us hope and encouragement. And I hope that, that that's exactly what will happen, that that will be an encouragement to you today. David, the great king of Israel, the slayer of giants, the, the warrior savage type of Christ that that's life is, is given to us to show us so much about who Jesus would be as the, the conqueror of sin and death, but also that reveals the shortcomings and inadequacies of even the greatest human king. David shows us in this moment, perhaps more than he shows us in all the rest of his life, he shows us what true repentance and humility look like. And in that, God shows us what grace and forgiveness look like. And it's, it's beautiful. Now, there are lingering consequences to David's actions, and he has to deal with those. And, and sometimes when we, even when we seek forgiveness and repentance, there might be consequences that linger. But, but the grace of God is sufficient even in dealing with those consequences. God forgives David, restores him to fellowship, and eventually brings many more blessings in his life. And, and I think that's something we can be encouraged by. Hope that's encouragement to you this morning or this afternoon or this evening or whenever you might be listening to it. It sure has been to me. And I hope you'll join us next time for the No Sanity Required podcast. See you soon. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.